0: Amen. Step number two, this is what we're going to preach on today. Step number two, determine exactly what you want. You say, well, that sounds selfish. Well, I'll fix that. As a matter of fact, let's go to the book of Psalms, and I can fix that real quick. Psalms 37.4. This sounds like one of those abracadabra verses. This sounds like one of those name it, claim it verses. Look what it says. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he then will give you, the word then is my word, but it is correct in its um, interpretation. Then he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. Look at that verse. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. Is that in the Bible? If it's in the Bible, then it's true. True. What do you think the key to that verse is? It is not the second part of that verse. The key is the first part of that verse. Before you begin to express your desires to God, the first thing you've got to do is delight yourself in the Lord above all things. Y'all with me out there? So when you delight yourself in the Lord, I mean when the Lord is where you get your primary joy from, guess what happens? Your desires match His desires. See now, if your delight is not in the Lord, then your desires don't match his desires. So when you pray and ask for the desires of your heart, more than likely you're not going to get those because you didn't fulfill the first part of that verse. If you fulfill the first part of that verse, God promises he will fulfill the second part of that verse. Some of you sitting here under the sound of my voice this morning, and I don't mean to offend you, but I do mean to be straight up with you today, you are not finding your delight in the Lord. You're finding your delight in other things you're finding your delight in money you're finding your delight in another person you're finding your delight in in prosperity or power or popularity or I don't know where you're finding your delight but you know some of you know that you might be finding your delight in your job or in your career or in your education all of those things are fine those things are not wrong in and of themselves but when you do not make the lord the delight of your life then he does not fulfill the desires of your heart because your desires when God is not first in your life your desires don't match his but when you surrender to him then your desires and his desires match the result of that is that he will give you what you ask for since your request match what he wants for you am I making sense up here when you desire what he desires, you get the desires of your heart. So here's the deal. Listen carefully. I want to be clear. In order for this sermon series to work for you, in order for this sermon series to work for you, in order for these nine things to work for you, the first thing you've got to do is get yourself aligned with God. I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. Only you know that. I mean, you could have me fooled. You could have your spouse fooled. You could have the people in your home fooled, the guy at work. You could have other people here in this church fooled, but you know where you are with God. And this sermon series will not work for you unless you get your life aligned with God. Where are you spiritually? Where are you in your prayer life? Where are you in your love for the Word of God? A life surrendered to God. A life... Surrender to God is the foundation of true success in life. That's your first step. That's your first step. Nothing else will line up until you establish intimacy with God and you cultivate that intimacy every day. Here's what the Bible says about that. You know this verse very well. Matthew sixteen twenty six. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What that verse actually means is, you might be successful according to the world's definition, but lose your life, lose your soul. I love it in the Amplified Bible. Let's look at it uh, in the Amplified Bible. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life, his blessed life in the kingdom of God? Or what would a man give as an exchange for his blessed Christian life in the kingdom of God? I'm telling you, many people have made other things, especially profit. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want you to be profitable. I want you to be blessed in your business. I want you to be blessed in your life and in your business life and in your career life. I want you to be blessed. We built this building praying you would get blessed. Amen. So I want you to be blessed. But if that's first in your life, this sermon series won't work for you. This sermon series will not work for you. When I talk about success, I'm not talking about, again, the world's definition that usually boils down to riches. And if you'll just open your eyes and look around you, some of the most miserable people in the world today are people who have much riches. So let's get back to step two. Describe exactly what you want. Now, once you have aligned yourself with God, once you have have turned away from sin and self and Satan's purposes for your life, and you're following God with your whole heart, and you begin to pray, I want you to remember, we're going to keep pushing this. Matter of fact, I might ask you to hand in your homework one of these Sunday mornings to make sure you guys are doing your homework. How many of y'all remember going to school and you didn't have your homework? Wasn't that a bad feeling? That was a terrible feeling, which was most days at school for me. But I want you to write down I want you to write down on paper or on your computer, in a Word document or whatever, a, listen, this is very important, what I'm about to say. I want you to get this. I want you to write down on paper a prayerful description of what you would like for your life to look like in 2013. I want you to just think of the kind of life you would like to have in 2013. Not the kind of life necessarily you want apart from God, but the kind of life you want after you've aligned yourself with God, after you've after you've come to God and said, God, I've been like a prodigal son or prodigal daughter. I've gone out on my own, but I'm coming back because, Lord, I know that you're not going to meet the desires of my heart if I'm not aligned with you. So the first thing you're doing is you're getting yourself aligned with God, and then you're, you're beginning to pray out of that new, fresh, intimate relationship with God, and you're saying, God, help me, help me write down where I want to be. In 2013, I want to I be very clear about this. I want you to answer. Don't be vague about it. Don't be vague. Write it down. You say, well, what if I write down something and then later I find out that God didn't want that? That's what delete's for. That's what erasers are for. That's what big black magic markers are for if you're right now. A- Mark through that. Because as you're developing this description of what you want your life to be like in 2013, go ahead and write down, because you've prayed, you've aligned yourself with God, go ahead and write down whatever comes to your heart. If something you write down isn't pleasing to God, you'll have a sense that that's not supposed to be there. God will work that in your life. He'll work on that in your life. He'll help you make that change. Don't be vague. Vague, listen to me, vague goals... Vague goals are never reached. Vague goals are never accomplished. Don't be vague, be specific. The more specific you are, the better it is. Some of you just marked through new car, didn't you? You marked through new car and you put Audi. Right there. You put BMW. So I'm just being specific, Pastor. The more specific you are, the better this list is going to be. When you're specific, you don't only list the things you want in your life for 2013. When you're being real specific, you also write down the stuff you don't want in your life anymore. Don't write husband or wife. Because it's God's will for you to have that same husband in 2013 you've got now. And I know you don't, some of y'all don't think that's God's will. It is. It is. <laughs> wife, same. You cannot divorce your children either. Write that down. Be as specific and descriptive as possible. Now, the reason I'm saying that, you say, "Well, where's that in the Bible?" Well, I want you to notice how Abraham in our story in Genesis 24 paints a clear picture for his servant Eliezer. Now. Abraham calls Eleazar in. He tells him what he wants and what he doesn't want. And basically, in the book of Genesis, chapter 24, verses 2 and 3, which is coming up right now, don't get a wife for my son. This is the Pharaoh Hardison paraphrase, by the way. Your Bible might not read this way. Don't get a wife for my son from the Canaanite girls. Nothing wrong with Canaanite girls. He just didn't want a Canaanite girl for his son. Don't get a wife for my son from the Canaanite girls who live around here. Instead, look what Abraham says to Eleazar. I want for my son, I want you to go back to my country and find a girl there. I want you to go back to my country and find a girl there. This has nothing to do with racism here. Y'all with me? I want you to go back to my country. I want you to go back to the land of my relatives And I know some of y'all are thinking for your children, do not marry anybody like our relatives. I know you're thinking that out there, all right? And if you want to know why, Christmas is coming, and you'll remember why, okay? Did I say that out loud? Yes. He said, I want you to go back to Micah. what is Abraham doing here? What's he doing? He's being what? Specific. Not pacific, specific. I want you to go, I I knew a person one time who always said that. I want to be very pacific about this. So you're going to have to go to California. All right, listen. I want you to go back to my country, to the land of my relatives, and find there a wife for my son Isaac. He's saying, I want a wife for my son of the same nationality, same hometown, same faith. Abraham is being very, very specific here. I want to remind you again that you will never reach a vague goal. Be specific. Do not be afraid after you have prayed and gotten aligned with God. Do not, listen to me, listen. Do not be afraid to write anything down. You say, but I don't want to offend God. You won't offend God. If you write something down that shouldn't be there, he'll he'll tell you. He'll lead you. He'll teach you. Nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. Nothing becomes real until it becomes specific. Your prayer list for 2013 needs to be clear, concise, and compelling. To set specific goals, let me give you four questions you need to ask yourself to set specific goals. If you're going to set specific goals for your life, the first thing you need to ask is what do I want to be? What do I want to be in 2013? What do I want to be? What do I want to do? Can you all see it? What do I want to do? It's right there. Right there. What do I want to have? And the most important question, the most important question, once you decide what you want to be and what you want to do and what you want to have, the most important question is, why do I want these things? You must not only know the what, you must know why you want the what. You must know why I want a new job. I want a new job in 2013. Why? Why do you want that new job? I want a better health. Can anybody say amen to that? Why do you want better health? What are you going, what are you going to do? If you get a new job, because I'm thinking if you say I want a new job, you want to make more money or, or you just want to get out from under some pressure or you want to just get out of a bad environment, Whatever then what are you going to do with that lack of pressure, with that freedom in your life? What are you going to do with that extra money? Why do you want a better job? Why do you want to make more money? Why You say, I want to to have better health. What are you going to do with that better health? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? How are you going to invest it in the kingdom? So you have to know why. You have to know why. You say, I want to get out of debt. Great. I love that. God wants you out of debt. We got people who will help you get out of debt. It takes time. Hey, it took time to get in it. It's going to take some time to get out of it. And when you're out of debt, what do you intend to do with that freedom? I want to grow spiritually. Why? So you can be a spiritual elitist and look down on other people who don't know as much about the Bible as you do. Or do you want to grow spiritually so you will have more of a servant heart like Jesus? You want to gird yourself with a towel every morning when you wake up ready to serve, ready to be a blessing. I got to tell you guys, <clears throat> I see a lot of spiritual elitism, not in this church, I really don't. I'm not saying I don't ever see it in this church. But spiritual elitism says, I know more than you know. I'm more spiritual than you are. It really is a Pharisaical attitude. And i got to be honest with you. I would rather work with somebody who knows a lot less about the Bible but has a humble spirit than work with somebody who's studied and studied and studied the Bible and they walk in pride about that. I'm preaching up in here today. Amen? Amen? Man, I'm telling you right now, here is the Feral Hardison universal sign that you will know if I'm talking to somebody who's a spiritual elitist and I do this that I'm about to show you, you will know that I think that person is a spiritual elitist. That's it right there. Because spiritual elitists sicken me because they are arrogant about their walk. About their knowledge. And really, their walk with God isn't what it ought to be, or they wouldn't have that. It's just knowledge. Are y'all? I really didn't mean to preach on that, but I really enjoyed preaching on that. Because there's nothing that bugs the daylights out of me more than spiritual elitism, Pharisaical spirits in the church. Let them be gone. Let them be gone from the house of God. Every goal has to have a value. Think about that as you're writing your goals down. And look, and this is going to sound selfish, but it's not. Every goal should have a reward. As a matter of fact, if you don't have a reward attached to your goal, you won't hold on to that goal. That goal won't hold on to you. That's why Jesus in the New Testament talked often about rewards. Jesus said over and over and over again if you do this, you'll be rewarded. If you do this, you'll get this. Jesus understood that there are benefits, rewards to living the right way. What motivated Eleazar? What motivated Eleazar to find a wife for Isaac? What motivated him? Uh, to find Isaac in another country. There are four motivations. Let's look at those. Four motivations. Eleazar was motivated by the fact that Isaac would get a wife. Isaac would get a wife. Now, if I'd been Isaac, I would have wanted to at least describe to him what I'm looking for. I mean, because, you know, Isaac didn't want him. I mean, you want character and you want all that, but you also don't want him to bring back a girl that's going to make Isaac go, "Ah," you know, so... (sighs) I mean, wasn't Millie looking good today? (laughs) James Chang sitting over here beside me. When I'm sitting with James on Sunday morning, I just never know what he's going to say. So when they got through singing, I yell out, that was good, honey. Did y'all hear me? He said, stop talking to Richard like that. You're there for me, aren't you? Thank you, James. (laughs) Uh, That was funny, I'm telling you. I don't get much quality humor from you people. (laughs) But that was high quality, brother, top notch. Filet mignon humor. Number one, Isaac will get a wife. What what are we talking about here? What's, What's motivating Eleazar? What's motivating it? Isaac's gonna get a wife. Look at number two. I love number. His master Abraham will be pleased. I should have put that number one. Because what ought to motivate us is that our master Jesus will be pleased when we do what he's called us to do. Isn't that good? Number three, God's purpose will be fulfilled. How many of you know God had told Abraham you were going to have a great nation that's going to come from you. And so he knew God's purpose would be fulfilled. And number four, Eleazar knew he would what? Get up. God's not against rewards. I love it when y'all wax spiritual and you say, pastor, I don't even want a reward. So I just want to tell God, anybody here who doesn't want theirs, I'll take theirs. <laughs> what do you think heaven is? We used, to, we used to sing songs when I was a little boy, like uh, I'll just take a little cabin in the corner of Glory Land. I'd sing that. Man, I'd stand on the front row and just sing that. I grew up. Nope, not anymore. Because God said he would prepare a what for me in heaven? A mansion. It's going to have a big NC State flag. <laughs> Thank all 40 of you. Eleazar not only knows what he's going to do, but he knows why. You have to know why. When you write these things down, you've got to know. If I get that, I want that. That's a desire of my heart. Why is it a desire of my heart? What am I going to do with that when I get it? How? When I get that, how is it going to please God? How is it going to impact God? How is it going to impact the kingdom? Why is it important to know why? You can set all kind of goals, but if you don't set the why, you're never going to achieve them for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, reason number one. If you don't know why you have a particular goal for your life, you're going to give up when times get... I didn't say if times get tough. I said when, because they're going to get tough. What is simply not enough to hold you. Knowing the what you want is not enough to hold you. You have to know the why if you're going to make it through the tough times. I've been the pastor of this church for 22 years, and maybe some of you have been wondering if I've ever wanted to quit in that 22 years. Yes, I have. Every Monday morning, I get PMS, Post-message syndrome. (laughs) After I preach, I'm thinking, dear God, surely somebody could have done a better job than that. I mean, my wife will tell you that Sunday afternoons sometimes are rough for her on Mondays because I'm depressed about how poorly I did. I, I think surely somebody could have done a better job than I did this morning or yesterday. There are a lot of people... This church is too big for me. I, I can't tell you the times on Saturday night that I've laid awake because every time this church grows, one person is the biggest church I've ever pastored. And I say, God, I know there's somebody smarter than me that should be pastoring this church or somebody brighter than me. There's somebody who can figure out how to help these dear people much better than I can. I love them. But I have to tell you all, I battle that all the time. And I want to just give up sometimes. I want to just turn it over to somebody else. You say, well, Pastor, what keeps you coming back? The why. Because if you don't know the why, then when things get tough in your life and you start doubting yourself, you're going to give up on your goals. You're going to give up on your dreams. You're going to give up on your vision. The next reason you need to know why, number two, Reason number two, when you settle the why, God will show you the how. When you settle the why, God will show you the how. We're always concerned about the how first. How am I going to do it? You write that thing down, how am I going to do it? Don't worry about the how. Don't worry about the how, just worry about the why. Just put down those things God puts in your heart and then ask yourself, why do I want this? How am I going to pay for it? Don't worry about that yet. Oh, we'll come to that. Just worry about, just worry about the why. Don't, don't ask yourself, how am I going to find the time? If God puts it on your heart, just go ahead and put it down there. God will help you make the time. How am I going to get the help I need? See the how question. We're always asking the how question, but I want you to get this part of my sermon and I am coming in for a landing here. I can see the runway lights. I'm about to put this plane down, so listen carefully. Motivation is more important than method. The why, the why you're doing what you're doing, the why you're doing what you're doing is far more important than the method if you figure out the right motivation, God will show you the method. If you get the right motivation down, he will show you how. Over the last 22 years here at the bridge, we've set some enormous, huge goals, haven't we? When you turn the on off of 70, there's a little brick church out there that seats about 150 people. That's where we started. But we set some goals And we came over here to this property and I showed the I showed the folks over there in 1994 1993 I showed them a picture of the old worship center right over there that we were in two months ago in that worship I showed them a picture of it that's all we had was a picture and they all gasped and applauded we didn't know how we were gonna have that building but we knew why we needed it Does that make sense We didn't know how we were going to get it, but we knew why we needed it. And then I think about how when we came over here, you know, when you build a new building, the church grows and the church grew. And all of a sudden, we were in a brand new building trying to figure out how to pay for it. And we had already outgrown our children's ministries. Does that sound familiar? So we built Fort Zion back here. And we didn't have any money. We didn't know how, but we knew why we needed Fort Zion. We knew little boys needed Jesus. And we didn't know how we were going to build it. Jim Gilligan, who now serves on our staff as our business administrator, was just a volunteer in our church at that time. And I don't know how in the world he did it, but he figured out how we could have that too. And God paid for it. And then our youth ministry, our our student ministry grew, and we needed them to have their own facility. And so we built the carpenter's house, and we didn't have the money to build it. We didn't know how we were going to build it, but we knew why. And when your motivation's right, God will show you the how. And then the little girls started saying, hey, (laughs) we're growing too. So we came over here, and we didn't know how in the world we were going to build the impact building. We didn't know how in the world we were going to do it, but we knew why. We knew why. And because we had the why right, God provided the how. And we started new ministries when we couldn't afford them, and we hired staff when we couldn't afford them. We didn't know how we were going to hire staff we couldn't afford. i got to tell you all something. We've never hired a staff person we could afford. We've never hired a staff person. We've never built a building that if you look at the numbers, where they are right now, that we could afford. But we knew why we had to have staff, and we knew why we had to have these buildings, and God provided the how. See, when you know the why and you got that right, he'll make a way. He'll make a way. Y'all with me out there? So I'm telling you in your individual lives, when you're writing down those things that God wants for your life, don't worry about the problem yet. Don't don't say, how am I going to do it? But how, but how? Just worry about the why. Get your motivation right. Get your motivation right and God will show you. He'll show you the how. Every time we announced our goals and dreams and vision, there were people who said, you guys are nuts out there. I mean, you got a church out there in the middle of a soybean field, and you got all these dreams and visions and goals. You guys are crazy. You can't do something like that in the middle of a farm community. And guess what? They were right. We didn't do it. God Almighty did it. God Almighty did it. He did it through you. You understood the why, and you, we got the why right. And when you get the why right, and when God looks down on you and sees your motivation's right, he'll provide the way to do it. Never confuse the decision-making phase with the problem-solving phase. That's why some people's dreams never come true, because they try to start solving the problems first. No, no, write down the dreams first. Write down the vision first. Write down the goals first. Pray about it and have the right motivation and write those visions and dreams and goals down for your life and for your church and for your ministry and for your business and for your marriage and for your organization. Too often we put the cart before the ho- horse and we try to start solving. Think about all the problems that my office, we try to do that. We're going to have all kinds of problems. We're going to have all kinds of challenges. I don't know how in the world we can do that. We better figure out the how before we figure out the what. No. No, you figure out the why first behind the what God has told you to write down. You ask yourself, why do I want this? Why is this on my list of goals? And when your motivation matches God's motivation, he'll provide a way for you to have your dream. He'll provide a way. You say, how do you know, Pastor? Because I'm I'm living it. We're living it right here at the bridge right now. If I want to be a registered nurse, or if I want to be financially free, or if I want to see... If I'm a person who would want to see their marriage healed or if I want to serve the Lord in a greater way, then I've got to, first of all, set goals and make decisions and get my motivation right. And then God will help me solve the problems that arise as I try to reach my vision and goals and dreams. God will help me solve the problem because He likes what I've written down. Matter of fact, He gave me those goals and dreams and visions. And so when I face a a time of trouble and a time of, of battle and a, and a time when it doesn't look like that vision's going to come t- true and, 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 and it maybe not even look like God's going to come through for me. I just fall back down on my face and I seek the one who gave me the dream in the beginning and then he begins to open doors you didn't know were there. Y'all with me out there? I'm telling you, you, you don't have it because you haven't asked, you haven't believed, you haven't trusted. Back in the 60s, John F. Kennedy announced at Rice Univers- University in Houston, Texas, a major goal for America. He told America that we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of this decade. That was the decision that was made. The problems to get a man on the moon, they didn't even think about those problems. They had not even been realized, much less solved. In fact, when Kennedy said that we're going to the moon by the end of the decade, it was scientifically, physically, and mathematically impossible. He didn't talk about all the problems. He talked about the dream. He talked about the vision. The technology hadn't even been invented when he made the announcement. Science hadn't even been uh, created when he made the announcements. Mathematical equations had not even been discovered that would have to be discovered before man could get on the moon. President Kennedy made the decision first. Then over the years, they solved the problems. If you try to solve the problems first, you'll never make progress. You'll never move forward. So Abraham says to Eleazar, I know where I am. I'm getting old, and my son doesn't have a wife. Eleazar, I want you to go back to my home, my country where I came from, Iraq, and I want you to find him a girl there. Here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. Listen, Abraham defines and describes in specifics what he wants for his son. Eleazar, his servant, you know what he did? You know what he did? He immediately began to think of the problems. He immediately began to think of, he got nervous, he got worried, wondering how can this be done. Look at Genesis 24, 5. It says, then the servant asked Abraham, what if the woman is unwilling to leave her home? See, Abraham just said, God's put it in my heart, go do it. And Eleazar does what we do. He said he started thinking of all the problems he might encounter. Instead of just going for it and, and trusting his, his Lord and trusting his leader, he says, What if she won't come? I mean, what if she's unwilling to leave her home in Iraq? What if she's willing to come back with me, a stranger, to this land to marry a guy she's never met? I mean, those are good questions, aren't they? I mean, when I look at that, those aren't bad questions, but I see, I see two words What? Say it with what if? That's why some of us never see our dreams come true. I mean, God-given dreams. I'm not just talking, I'm not up here, Anthony Robbins, motivational speaker. I'm telling you, God has a dream for you. God has a purpose for you, God has a will for you. God has a vision for your life. and the reason some of us never see it become a reality is because when God puts it in our heart, we start saying, "What if, what if this happens? Yeah, I know, I hear you God, but what if that happens? And what if this happens? And we're just what- ifing all over the place? And what ifing will paralyze you? And what ifing will postpone your dream, and what ifing will cause you to procrastinate? and what ifing? will kill your dream. If you figure out the motivation, you align yourself with God and you figure out the right motivation for why you have the goals you have and your motivations are God's motivations, he will provide the how in your life.